Welcome to the Auckland Bioengineering Institute podcast. Hello and thank you for listening. My name is Ruben Keeling and today we will be talking about the final frontier of the human body, the gut. Joining me to talk about this are two experts from the Gastrointestinal Research Group here at the Auckland Bioengineering Institute. So why don't you please introduce yourselves? Kia ora, my name is Ping Du and I'm a senior research fellow here at the Auckland Bioengineering Institute. I study the gut, uh, how the gut moves and the kind of bioelectrical activity it generates. And kia ora, I'm Tim Angeli. I'm also a senior research fellow here at the Auckland Bioengineering Institute. I'm also studying, working very closely with Ping, I'm studying the electrophysiology of the gut, of the stomach and intestines, and how uh, the processes of digestion are controlled by electrical signals in your body. Um, and I'm specifically interested in how uh, those electrical signals change between health and disease states to try and come up with new um, diagnosis and treatment options for patients with really severe uh, gastrointestinal disorders and problems. Great. So why is the, the gut thought of as the final frontier? Well, I, I guess um, many uh, tissues or organs in the human body uh, generate uh, bioelectrical events as they function. For example, um, every time the heart beats um, or the muscles in your heart uh, generates an electrical impulse that can be recorded um, uh, from the outside of the body. And in fact, that's been one of the key uh, clinical breakthroughs in the past century, using this uh, bioelectrical event to inform clinical decisions. Um, similarly, in recent years, um, you know, activity of the brain and the electrical activity generated by the nerves are used as another clinical indicator. So um, the gut is also a highly muscular organ. So when it moves, it also generates um, an electrical event. And uh, part of the work that Tim and I are, are working on is to record and to understand um, this electrical activity. And I think I might just add to that as well that um, a lot of people know about the heart and your heartbeat. We all talk about your heartbeat and, and many people know that each of your actual contractions of your heart that pumps blood through your body is actually initiated by an electrical event. Um, that's, you know, we watch TV and when somebody goes to the hospital, the first thing that happens is they put a couple of electrodes on and they measure their ECG or their electrocardiogram, which is that electrical wave that triggers your heartbeat. And so it, that's quite well understood. And if we compare the gut to, say, the heart, we're, you know, really decades behind our understanding of the electrical control of the gut. So I think that sort of links into where you could describe it as the final frontier, where yeah. there's, there's a lot of research that's been done on, on some of these other organs, and especially the electrophysiological sense. Um, but in the gut, it's a really emerging field, which is exciting to be a part of. And uh, are there any specific um, research projects that you're working on right now? Yeah, so um, I guess I'll, I'll sort of give a brief overview of, of what we've done to date. Um, so a lot of what our group has done has looked at um, mapping in very high resolution. So we call it high resolution electrical mapping of the stomach and intestines. And what we do in that case is we put hundreds of electrodes directly on the organ simultaneously. So we can put hundreds of electrodes directly on the stomach. Um, we do that in surgery typically. So we, we team up with clinicians and surgeons um, at hospitals, both in Auckland and in New Zealand and overseas as well. 
um, and we go into surgery and we place these um, really well-designed electrodes that Ping, Ping designed himself and got manufactured. Um, and we put those directly on the organ. And what we're able to do with that is actually look at the, the spatial propagation of these electrical rhythms. Um, and with that, we've been able to, to do that in patients with healthy stomachs and then translated to patients uh, with really severe gastrointestinal disorders where they've got very severe nausea, vomiting, um, abdominal pain, bloating, um, to the point where they may, they may be nauseous and actually vomit 10 or more times a day. It's really, really severe, really debilitating disorders. They're difficult to diagnose. They can take months to diagnose or even years in some cases. Um, and in these patients, we've identified uh, really severe electrical abnormalities, so abnormalities of those electrical rhythms. Um, but some of the challenges with our uh, equipment or our techniques to date is that it was surgically invasive, so we had to go in and team up with surgeons in full open abdomen surgery to put these electrodes in place. So now um, what I'm doing, and actually Peng as well, is moving to more minimally invasive approaches. So we're um, developing um, endoscopic electrical mapping, so going down the throat. So endoscopic means going down the throat. It's one of the first things um, that happens if you have a really severe gastrointestinal problem. You'll go to your GP, you might get some medicine, some different, um, different pharmaceuticals to try and, try and cure the symptoms. And if nothing uh, is responsive, then a lot of times they'll refer you to get an endoscopy or have a camera down your throat into your stomach and pretty much they just want to have a look at what's going on in there um, if there's any structural abnormalities or that so what uh, what I've developed is a, a device where we can actually put this device into your stomach in parallel with the endoscope and then record the electrical rhythms um, to look for abnormalities um, so we've completed uh, an entire prototyping phase we've got a device in place we've completed preclinical trials and have just launched our clinical trials here in Auckland um, in uh, collaboration with a gastroenterologist at Auckland City Hospital, which has been outstanding. Um, so that's a really exciting project where we're moving towards a more minimally invasive approach um, with that and looking to try and try and create a diagnosis for these disorders and, and make it more efficient and quicker and uh, more painless uh, or less painful um, in both uh, in a sort of emotional and time sense um, for the patients. I'm very glad Tim is here to give us a very comprehensive <laughs> overview of the clinical work he's been leading. Um, I guess just to add to that, um, um, another aspect that um, we're working on here at the GI group um, is looking at the um, development of um, biophysically-based mathematical models of the different aspects of the gut. Um, so, mathematical modeling involves using uh, mathematical equations and formulations to really encapsulate um, how the different mechanisms in the human body functions together. Um, so, and that has been certainly an um, ongoing process and been a hallmark of the uh, research excellence here at the Auckland Bioengineering Institute. And we are certainly leveraging a lot of our knowledge based on the expertise that's already been developed here. But one of the things that we've been able to do over the past, I'll say, 10 years now, is to develop these virtual um, organ models of the um, esophagus, of the stomach, and of the intestine. And of course, 
part of that is um, data that's in, in being formed by um, the experimental and clinical research. So we've developed models that are able to reproduce what we are seeing um, experimentally. And so that offers us a virtual platform in which we could um, adjust all these parameters in the model and to look at the outcomes. And that gives us a way to efficiently, um, I guess, investigate the effects of certain um, drugs or device design without having to um, solely relying on um, experimental data or animal usage. Um, so that's certainly been uh, one of the um, hallmarks of our group. How many people are affected by these these uh, health problems? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, some of the disorders we've looked at to date are the on the really severe end of the spectrum. So one of them is called gastroparesis. Um, so it literally translates, the name gastroparesis literally translates to stomach paralysis. Um, so it's a disorder where the, the stomach in these patients fails to empty properly. They get delayed emptying of the stomach and it, it's associated with those, those real severe symptoms that I talked about before, um, nausea, vomiting, abdominal pain, bloating. And when these patients eat a meal, they feel full very quickly. Um, so they, they're often actually malnourished as well because um, they can't get enough nutrients into their body. And then typically they um, sort of transition to a diet um, of, of poor nutrition, um, you know, fizzy drinks and things that are easy for them to, to eat. So gastroparesis, is, it's quite a low incidence, right? It's sort of single percentages um, in the Western population, but it's closely linked with diabetes. Um, so a lot of diabetics will, will develop gastroparesis. Um, so it's a, it's a growing concern. Um, it's thought to be underdiagnosed as well. So a lot of people suffer um, and don't necessarily get the diagnosis. But these electrical abnormalities also exist uh, in a number of, of other disorders, um, including reflux even. So there is some, some older literature looking at uh, electrical abnormalities with uh, gastroesophageal reflux disease, or it's more commonly known as just reflux or heartburn even. Um, and so that affects up to 30% uh, of the Western population as, as some of the statistics that I've seen. So I think there's a real, um, it's an emerging field. We're still, we're still sort of growing the, the evidence based for exactly which disorders and which sort of patients could be affected by this. But we're, we're pretty optimistic that there's a, a substantial portion of the population that could benefit from this work. Yeah, the, the scope is certainly quite immense. And of course, when you ask researchers these numbers, you know, we certainly can quote all sorts of numbers <laughs> to justify our, our own existence. Um, I, I think it was interesting when Tim um, mentioned 30% of people um, who might have uh, had functional dyspepsia. Um, I, I guess I read somewhere that one in, one in four, so a quarter of the um, visits to the GPs are related mm -hmm. to gut conditions. And, you know, just to put a dollar amount on that, um, in the in the U.S., I think in 2018, the healthcare related to the gut was 142 billion dollars, um, which was actually more than um, cardiac and um, trauma. So it's quite a severe problem, and one reason for that is um, the sort of diagnosis uh, related to gut problems are very still very symptom based. So you, you go through this process of elimination, which of course take a very long time, therefore money and um, missed opportunities for treatment. So that's something that 
Tim and I are working actively on, trying to use this bioelectrical event of the gut as a reliable diagnostic indicator for different um, gut conditions, as well as, in, as an indicator for the recovery of gut functions following treatments. Great. Um, so why did you choose to, to study this particular field? Well, I mean, for me, it was um, kind of a rite of passage. Um, I, uh, I did my um, part four or final year project um, engineering here with uh, Professor Andrew Pullen, who was the previous um, PI of the group. Um, so I, I basically stayed on and, um, you know, he, he convinced me it was the final frontier of electrophysiology. And I thought that was a very cool Star Trek reference. Um, so that's why I signed on board. And um, it's certainly been a very um, interesting experience. I think I probably had a very different experience compared to um, most of my peers, because when I signed on board, um, there were other two other clinicians that signed on board as well. So, you know, from day one, we had a, um, you know, a very interdisciplinary um, team environment. And of course, later when they had, um, you know, people um, like Tim uh, joining us, which further strengthened, um, I guess, the capability of our research group. Um, so it's certainly been, um, you know, growing from a relatively small group um, in the ABI to one of the biggest to date. How many people in the group? I think we're at about 20 people currently. Mm -hmm. We've got about um, five either research fellows, senior research fellows, professors, um, and then about, yeah, sort of 15 students or so. Um, a variety of master students, PhD students, um, and then we we try and support some of the younger students as well through summer research um, studentships, um, summer research opportunities, and we take on some interns as well, international collaborators who have um, undergraduate students who are who are interested to come study with us, or even master students who have come across. Right. Um, so we said, yeah, sort of around twenty people hmm. um, at present. And how did you end up here, ABI? Yeah, my, I think my journey was quite a bit different to Ping's. Um, so I am originally from the U.S. I was born and raised in the U.S. and I did a, a bachelor's and a master's degree at the University of Michigan, uh, both in biomedical engineering. And when I finished my master's degree, I was interested in uh, continuing my education and, and um, going into a Ph.D. program. Uh, but I wasn't quite sure where I wanted to go. Uh, I knew that I wanted to leave Michigan and get a get a bit of a different experience. Um, and so I guess it was a bit of serendipity potentially that I saw an announcement for this position um, here uh, at the Auckland Bioengineering Institute doing this GI research. I didn't know too much about GI. I had done, my previous research had been in uh, drug development and uh, bioartificial kidney research and development. So it was, a, it was a bit of a different field. And I looked into the group and I thought, oh yeah, this sounds, this sounds quite cool. Um, but to be perfectly honest, I, I was really sold on New Zealand, the country. Yeah. I had heard how beautiful it was and, and how amazing of a country it was. So I thought, oh, it could be quite nice to go down to New Zealand and do a PhD. And so uh, so I applied. And it's, it's a little bit of a funny story because I, I'll always remember I applied on a Monday morning U.S. time. And because of the time difference, um, Andrew Pullen, who, who Ping mentioned, who was the professor leading the group, he replied, 
uh, overnight. So everything happened sort of overnight. And by Tuesday, he asked for references. I talked to my references. One of them sent it on Wednesday, and on Thursday, he offered me the position. So <laughs> within within four days, I went from thinking that New Zealand would be a nice place to, to go stay for a couple of years and to uh, having a PhD position and him asking how soon I could get down here. So uh, it was quite a wild ride, but uh, I've been here 10 years now and I'm loving it. And um, yeah, I think it's going to be permanent for me. So mm-hmm. really excited that I, I got down here and um, really love working in the GI field as well. I think one of the things that excites me uh, is how much opportunity there is. And it seems like it's a real underserved field as well. Um, there's a lot of patients who, um, like Ping said, really suffer. Um, there's a really high incidence rate, and it seems like um, there's a real need for some development of, of new technologies and new diagnoses and therapies as well, which is exciting to, to be in a field like this where there's a lot of scope for, um, for some good work. Speaking of um, Wild Ride, um, and just to show how dedicated Tim was, um, <laughs> I remember um, the first time I met Tim, uh, we were doing um, a series of studies in Jackson, Mississippi. Okay. I think Tim drove for five, seven hours or more than that. Oh, oh it was. It was a long 15, drive. I think it was about fifteen hours. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. Day, <laughs> yeah. 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 He, so he drove all the way from Michigan, from Michigan, all yeah. the way to Mississippi, um, just so that he could come and. Um, take part in the study and I I remember you know when he first showed up he was in full-on shirt and tie um, <laughs> and I think that very quickly went away after he arrived in New Zealand so <laughs> oh that's some commitment yeah yeah it was it was funny I uh yeah I remember that as well it was it was before I had actually moved to New Zealand I asked Andrew if there's anything I could do while I was waiting for my visa to come down here and he said oh yeah sure enough I've got some people doing some studies in Jackson, Mississippi. You could go down there if you want. And I said, yeah, sure. And he had no idea how far it was. He, he didn't really realize it was two days or day and a half for me to drive. But I drove down and I remember it was a matter of hours between when I arrived at the hospital. I just drove straight to the hospital, uh, met Greg O'Grady, who was one of the clinicians doing a PhD with our group at the time and is still, um, he's now an associate professor and a surgeon at Auckland City Hospital. Um, and still, we still work very, very closely with him. I met him and it was about two hours from the time I arrived in the car park to signed all the documentation, got my, uh, got my badge, got my approval and was in scrubs in the operating theater collecting some data. So it was, it was quite a, quite a wild ride, I guess, like, like I said, um, but it's been fun. Yeah. It's been a really, really fun journey. And what are the, some of the biggest challenges you've faced in this field? I guess, um, you know, we had, I mean, personally, I, I guess we had different um, aspects of um, challenges at different phases in our research group um, journey. Um, I guess initially there was always a question about, um, you know, how to apply and develop these um, devices and be able to deploy them clinically. Um, so there was a lot of engineering considerations involved. Um, and sometimes, you know, uh, uh, the considerations are not just technical, but also usability and um, steerability uh, because they are um, applied on um, people. Um, so that was earlier on in the research phase. Um, and then later on, um, you know, we're more, I guess, nowadays focused on clinical translation. So that's a bigger, um, I guess, hurdle to overcome because you really got to demonstrate that 
these things that we are studying has a um, you know clinical utility, and that requires um, you know an active participation of um, a number of clinicians and also physiologists and experimentologists to. Uh, work together to really understand the different mechanisms behind these diseases. And something that I guess Tim already mentioned is that um, the mechanisms of a lot of the gut conditions are just not super clear. So, you know, we're we're, we're trying to identify, um, you know, which mechanisms can be best described by the um, uh, electrical event that we are studying. And so, so there's a bit of you know, trial and error kind of approach here. And that's certainly, I, I think, one aspect of research. And to be honest, that's quite exciting as well. You know, we open up a new field and a new um, diagnostic indicator. How about you, Tim? Uh, yeah, I don't know if I've got too much to add to that. I think, um, I think one of the real challenges, or I guess I look at it as opportunities as well, is, is getting all yeah. the right people in place. Mm. That's been one of, I think, the real rewarding aspects is um, getting all of the right people on board to really have a translational program. I know Ping mentioned that, but I think it's been one of our real um, successes has been our ability to develop new techniques and equipment. And, um, you know, starting off, that was big thanks to Ping for developing those initial electrodes and then really having the right people to take those or to take that technology and those techniques through from engineering development all the way through to clinical translation and to get them into an operating theater. It's, it's not easy to do. It's really, really challenging to go through that whole process. And there's, a, um, you know, tens or hundreds of people along the way that, that you need to make sure you've got on board and, and that they're happy and that they're satisfied and, and that they really buy into what you're doing as well. Um, there's a lot of trust. And, and I think developing those relationships um, it can be challenging, but it's also one of the most rewarding things that I find from from this work is is when you get those right people on board. It's amazing what you can do as a as a team, mm. um, and I think that's that's one thing I'm, I'm sure Ping would echo. It's Absolutely. it's really fun to um, to sort of see the team that we've got in place and all of the people that we've been able to work with, not only in our group here at the at the Bioengineering Institute, but our collaborators, <coughs> excuse me, domestically here in New Zealand. And a lot of our international collaborators, we've been really fortunate to work with some really, really great scientists and clinicians overseas as well um, that have really helped us helped us push along the research that we're doing. Yeah, it seems to be um, one of the one of the benefits here. There's a lot of great collaborations with international teams. So yeah, who absolutely. are you guys working with? Um, so we we work um, and have worked for a long time with some collaborators at the Mayo Clinic. Um, they've been really great to us. Um, Professor Gianrico Ferrugia, um, Simon Gibbons, Arthur Bader, um, Samuel Asservathams, who's a, a, a clinical cardiologist, um, and he's helped a lot with some of the work I'm doing that mirrors some of the cardiac work. Um, so they've been really good. Um, the Mayo Clinic is an amazing place. It's a really, really high-powered research um, institute and, and clinical center in the U.S., so it's been great to have them on board. Um, and then another one is uh, Professor Tom Abel, who is a gastroenterologist. Um, we originally started working with him when he was uh, in Jackson, Mississippi, and he's since moved to the University of Louisville in Kentucky. Um, and he's been really uh, helpful for us um, because he's got some uh, or quite a lot of patients who have gastroparesis, like I mentioned, 
and another disorder called chronic unexplained nausea and vomiting. Um, and so working with him gave us uh, access and the ability to uh, record directly from those patients in a surgical setting, which was uh, a really unique opportunity. Um, so we're really thankful to, to be able to have linked up with him and to work with him. Do you have any others to mention, Ping? We've, I guess we've got a lot, so yeah. I don't yeah. think there's, <laughs> yeah, it's I, impossible I guess in addition to um, all the um, collaborators based in the U.S. Um, that we've collaborated and are continuing to collaborate over the years, um, we also have collaborators in Australia, uh, mostly based at uh, Flinders University in Adelaide, um, Professor uh, Phil Dinnings, uh, working on measuring the motility or the pressure of the gut. Um, and also our colleagues in um, Europe as well, developing um, imaging techniques of the uh, microstructures of the gut tissues. Um, also collaborators in Hong Kong and China, uh, working on anti-cancer treatments, as well as looking at different clinical conditions and their role and um, impact on the um, gut electrical activity. And of course, all the domestic collaborators we have in New Zealand. <laughs> So the, the sensors and probes that you guys have developed, uh, have, have you done that mostly in-house or how have those come about? Um, so um, this sort of refers back to, um, I guess, the challenges um, that we, we are um, facing um, as, just as part of the um, research journey is when you um, develop these sensors and devices um, as research tools, um, you know, it's absolutely okay to um, do the design and um, even the, sometimes the manufacturing um, in-house. And that's and uh, provided that we, we pass all the um, regulatory um, validation, uh, we can apply them in small-scale research. However, um, one of the, I guess, interesting um, opportunities I'm experiencing is when you're trying to develop and apply these um, sensors and devices as commercial tools, the level of requirement um, that's needed is certainly another level, uh, where um, both the design and the manufacturing need to have um, regulatory standards, um, which you know, we currently explore as um, you know, uh, outside manufacturers and options to uh, make these uh, devices and sensors um, so that they can be um, translated into a commercial uh, product uh, relatively quickly. So what other uh, kind of support and, uh, and awards have you had this year? I know, I know you've had a big year, Ping. You can talk about <laughs> some of the, uh, some of the, the um, recognition that you've received? Uh, okay, sure. Um, I guess, you know, before, before we came here, um, you know, I, I went to speak to Tim and he was writing down all the uh, funding agencies that he <laughs> received uh, support from and I wish I had done that because there's a list of them but um, you know in general um, you know there's obviously the Royal Society of New Zealand um, the Health and Research Council um, and all the um, funding support that I've received from um, the MedTech core the Ritter Institute um, and of course within the um, University of Auckland and ABI over the years as well um, I guess you know looking back um, you know one of the most if you like, the special um, awards that I would always remember was the um, student paper award from the um, EMBC, IEEE Engineering Conference. So it's one of the um, biggest 
conferences for biomedical engineers in the world. And I'm looking at the year that I got this award in was in 2009. So it was almost exactly well 10 then. years ago. And that was in uh, Minneapolis, um, St. Paul and Minneapolis um, in Minnesota as well. And I remember that conference really well because the, um, the guest speaker was Earl Barkin, who was the founder of Medtronic. And, you know, and I, I, I guess, you know, I went through the process and I went through the competition rounds and I, I got this top student paper at that, at that conference. So I will always remember that as, you know, really the first significant recognition that I got um, for my research in this field. And it certainly has, you know, really motivated me over the years. And the story that um, Carl Erbakken had, um, you know, presented um, certainly also motivated me over the years to continue um, to apply and innovations in this field. And I guess I'll jump in because I think uh, Ping's being a bit humble here, <laughs> but uh, he also received, I believe, I might get the name wrong, but the Prime Minister's Emerging uh, Scientist Research Award this year. Oh, that happens um, every so, year. <laughs> so that's uh, quite quite a big deal, to say the least. Um is one one per year, uh, and it's awarded directly by Jacinda Ardern, the Prime Minister of New Zealand. So that was uh, an amazing honor for him, um, and we're we're really proud of him and what he's done. And what other funding and, and grants have you received to support your work? Um, yes, I've been really fortunate over the years, um, particularly recently. So the the real big one for me recently was end of last year. Um, and it kicked off January of this year was a Rutherford Discovery Fellowship from the Royal Society of New Zealand. Um, so that supports me for five years. It's a really amazing opportunity to get five years of, of research funding, um, especially in sort of that mid-career goal where I'm really launching my career and taking it taking it to the next next stages. So I'm really really thankful for that and looking forward to the next um, you know four and a half years or so that I've that I've got on that. Um, I'm also supported by a Health Research Council of New Zealand uh, Emerging Researcher First Grant um, that's that's funded a lot of the work um, that I'm doing at the moment. So that's been outstanding. Um, and then I'm fortunate to contribute to some wider programs as well, a, a Health Research Council program grant, which Ping is involved in and is led by um, Associate Professor O'Grady. Um, and... Um, yeah, oh, there's too many people to name on that. Really, it's a big it's a big program that we're running in GI Health, but we're we're really excited about that. Um, it's a great opportunity, um, and a flagship project with the MedTech Center of Research Excellence, which is um, another another really exciting um, body of work that we're doing. Um, and really thankful as well for the the uh, support that's gotten me to this stage as well. The Auckland Medical Research Foundation um, supported me with an Edith C. Cohn Fellowship. Uh, and a Kelleher Charitable Trust grant um, for a couple of years that, that helped get me to this point. Um, a lot of support from the University of Auckland uh, and the MedTech and RIDIT Centers of Research Excellence as well. So it's been, um, yeah, really, really thankful for those opportunities. Um, we, we can't do this research without uh, without that sort of funding and without that sort of support. So it's, it's really nice um, that people see the value in what we do and see the value in our work uh, and are willing to, willing to support us to, to carry it on. I guess one thing to add to that is um, both Tim and I have certainly um, received a lot of support as early to mid-career um, researchers, which is, you know, very good to see because that is certainly a very precarious, um, I guess, time in a researcher's life when you um, 
finish your PhD and then you're thinking about should I go get a job in the industry or should I stay as an academic? And I think just in general, um, all the funding agencies in New Zealand have certainly recognized the value of retaining um, early to mid-career researchers and that's been reflected in the level of support that both Tim and I have received. Fantastic. Uh, so what's what's next? What's what's on the horizon for you guys? What's the next exciting thing that you're looking at? Um, I guess continue to look at um, reducing the um, level of uh, invasiveness um, and increasing the usability of the uh, recording techniques we've been developing. Um, for example, it is possible that we can also capture um, the electrical activity of the stomach and perhaps even the intestines and the lower gut um, from the body surface, whether that's using a bioelectrical recording technique or using a magnetic uh, recording technique. Um, and certainly looking at the effects of um, drug treatments on um, gastric functions is certainly an interesting area because you can imagine that um, generates a lot of interest, especially in the uh, pharmaceutical industry. Um, and also just to develop more um, sophisticated mathematical models so we can continue to um, reduce um, both animal usage as well as the um, sole reliance on um, uh, human trials. And, and at the end of the day, the, the idea there is that we can um, facilitate and accelerate through to the final um, clinical translational outcome. Yeah, I think, uh, I guess... A lot of my sentiments about the future mirror what what Ping said, but uh, I'm I'm really motivated by um, trying to help the patients, trying to de deliver um, new diagnoses and treatment options to to the patients, um, which I talked um, quite a bit about uh, the sort of endoscopic mapping that we're working to develop, but also looking at um, once we can diagnose these electrical problems with with the stomach and intestine, what can we do about it? Um, so I'm working on um, some some emerging therapies as well, um, one of which is looking at uh, translating ablation to the stomach. So ablation is essentially burning the tissue um, to create targeted electrical conduction blocks and to eliminate the abnormalities, so to eliminate the abnormal conduction pathways. Um, it's used very widely in, in cardiac electrophysiology. It's a, it's a multi-billion dollar um, medical device industry, uh, um, medical industry in, in the cardiac field but it hasn't been translated to the stomach yet. So um, I've got a PhD student on board who's outstanding. She's done a lot of really good work in this. Um, I've, I've driven it for a number of years, getting the proof of concept and feasibility up and running. And we've got some really, really promising results that we're, um, we're actually just writing up the first paper at the moment um, and pushing that along. So that's a, a really exciting opportunity to sort of add a new therapy to the, um, to the diagnosis side of things that we're working on as well. Um, so that's, yeah, sort of my, my future, I think. And then looking to expand um, some of our preclinical capabilities as well. Um, so uh, branded a lab around that called the Target Lab um, or Laboratory for Translational Research in Gastroenterology and Emerging Technologies. Um, and the, the idea there is to really um, just try and expand our capabilities uh, in that translational space. So I think we've spoken quite a bit about um, our development of technology and then taking that through to the clinic. Um, but there's often quite a divide between that sort of engineering benchtop development and the actual clinical operating theater or, or the, the, the clinical setting. 
So um, I'm working uh, quite a lot on trying to um, expand our capabilities in, in that translational space. So what that looks like is um, bringing new equipment on board. We're really fortunate to work with um, a lot of really great uh, people here at the University of Auckland, uh, at the Bioengineering Institute and the Faculty of Medical and Health Sciences. Um, we've got some really great um, preclinical lab spaces available to us. Um, but I've been uh, been fortunate to um, secure some donations recently. Um, so I've got a, a full endoscopic system um, donated to us um, for use in our preclinical area um, and have secured a, a, a full gastroscope. Um, so we're, we're looking at um, really expanding some of our capabilities in that preclinical space as well to, to accelerate our translational pipeline. Um, so that's really exciting. Great. <clears throat> so there's... A lot of hope for people that have these kind of uh, illnesses out there. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I know. Um, so I often think when people ask me about what my motivation is, I often um, think of uh, what has become my, my favorite Māori whakatoki or um, Māori proverb. So um, for our international listeners, Māori are the uh, indigenous people of New Zealand. Um, and uh, the Māori culture has really... Um, is really ingrained in New Zealand. And one of my favorite um, proverbs says, uh, Heaha te meanui o te ao. What is the most important thing in the world? He tangata, he tangata, he tangata. It is a people, it is a people, it is a people. And so I think that uh, really resonates with me uh, and my research as well. Like I'm, I'm really driven by the patient, I'm trying to deliver to deliver these new, new diagnoses and treatments to the patient. It's, um, it's tough to see these patients come in suffering and, and really struggling. Um, so it's nice to be able to, to try and try and come up with uh, new options for them. And I think one, one thing to add to that as well is just a thank you to all of the patients who have taken part in our research to date. Um, oftentimes it's a big ask. Um, we, we, we're really careful about um, minimizing um, the sort of burden on the patients, but really what our, our research requires patient input and, and patient participation so that we can collect these data and hopefully um, deliver improved diagnoses and treatments to, to future patients. So we are, we're really thankful for the patients who have, have helped us get to this point um, because without them we couldn't do it. And uh, <clears throat> where can people find out more about your work if they're interested? Do you have uh, any uh, social um, media? Or, uh... Yes, yes, we do. <laughs> we do. Um, so the Auckland Gastrointestinal Research Group maintains a Facebook page that um, we um, you know, put up a lot of our photos and published articles on. Um, but also we have a website on the ABI website, which I encourage our listeners to go and visit, um, not only just to see our research, but also the research by done by the other amazing people at this institute. Um, as well as signing up for our newsletter and engage with our other social media outlets such as LinkedIn, Twitter, or Instagram. Um, so I, I guess the ABI, or the Auckland Bioengineering Institute, is one of the large-scale research institutes here at the University of Auckland. What that means is that um, most, if not all, of our funding support come from research grants. So. Um, you know, we don't receive um, allocation um, from teaching. Um, so we rely <laughs> a lot on um, research grants, but also um, donations from the public. Um, and, you know, a lot of our researchers um, dedicate a lot of our time to engage with the communities and really, um, you know, talk about our work and um, 
you know, really to uh, promote the value of research. So, you know, we really value that aspects of um, public engagement and support. Okay, well, thank you for your time today. Thanks to everyone for listening and uh, stay tuned for the next episode. Thank you, Ruben. Yeah, thank you. To find out more, visit our website, www.abi.auckland.ac.nz.